Hello, and welcome to Making Number Sense Make Sense, a podcast for elementary teachers, specifically early elementary teachers, looking to really make an impact in the number sense of their students. Welcome back to Making Number Sense Make Sense, a podcast for early elementary teachers hoping to really make a difference in the number sense of their students. Today's topic is, I would say, kind of a hot topic in math education, if there is such a thing. It is Building Thinking Classrooms. Now, this book, I feel like, took the Facebook math teachers groups by storm. I'm hearing about it everywhere. I heard about it everywhere, and I read it over the summer, and I was like, what is so exciting about this book? Like, what what is it that is making this so popular? And I have to admit, I was a little skeptical because it said K to 12, And if you are a early elementary teacher, then you know that when things say K to 12, they are rarely actually K to 12 because it takes a special person to understand how to teach little people and not not everybody's got it. Not everybody knows what it takes to do that. So like I said, skeptical. Is this actually going to work in kindergarten? So the main premise of this book is that a lot of times when students are presented with some kind of math problem, they're not actually problem solving. What they're doing is mimicking behaviors that look like they're problem solving, but they're not actually problem solving. That's for a variety of reasons. They may have been conditioned to understand that the teacher is going to eventually give them the answer if they don't try. And, you know, Trying can be a lot harder than not trying. So a lot of times kids get comfortable just kind of sitting back and making it look like they're busy and not actually being busy. This is an aside, but I remember in a high school physics class, like we, me and my friend were supposed to be building an engine or something along those lines. And we were definitely not building an engine. Building was not our forte. So he and I were just talking to each other about anything but building an engine. And a lot of times when a teacher comes over to students who are not doing the right thing, they'll be like, oh, oh, and then try to make it look like they're busy. We were not those people. We are not going to do that. It's like, eh. We we kind of looked at her and we're like, "Mm, sorry, we're definitely not doing what we should be doing. And she was like, well, I'm glad that you didn't, you know, try to make it look like you were doing something that you shouldn't. And he, without a missing a beat, goes, well, what you see is what you get. And I will remember that forever. Hilarious. But a lot of times with kids, it's the same. What you see is what you get. If it looks like they're not really working, a lot of times they're not actually working. So the idea of building thinking classrooms is really to move around that and put the kids in a situation where they can't do those typical studenting behaviors that they have to really go outside of the box because the environment that they're in and the way that math problems are presented changes. When you're taken out of your element and your norm, then you kind of have to react in different ways. And that's exactly what happens with this building thinking classrooms framework and The results that I've been getting has been amazing with my students. They ask me, oh, are we going to do a task today? Are we going to work on the whiteboards today? 
and they don't ask me questions. They get to the point where they're like, all right, got it. I'm good to go. Let's try and work on this. And they just get right to it. They don't ask me for help usually. The only thing I'm really doing is having the opportunity to listen to all of their great thinking and support any conflict in partners, but usually there's really not any conflict. So let's dive into exactly how I set it up. There are three main things that you need to get started with building thinking classrooms. You by no means have to read the whole book before you dive right in. You can, but you definitely don't have to. So the big three that you need are you need your students to be working in random groups. So for K-2, that's partners, and for older grades, that would be a group of three. You need some kind of vertical, non-permanent surface. So that could be dry erase board or a dry erase sleeve and something to hang them up around the room so that kids are standing while they're working. And the dry erase marker makes it easy to erase and students are more willing to take risks. And the third thing is that as a teacher, when you're circulating, you're trying to be deliberately less helpful in a kind way. You don't want to just kind of look at your kids and do nothing with the younger kids, but you do kind of want to reiterate that you heard them and just kind of encourage them. Like, I think that you can do it. I definitely think that you can figure this out and kind of walk away and see see what happens. So those are your three big things that you need to get started. So the first thing is the vertical non-permanent surface. My school was recently renovated and almost all of my walls are whiteboards, but I realize that that is not the case for everybody. So if I did not have the whiteboards already, I would definitely be making use of dry erase leaves. The type of tasks that I'm doing in kindergarten often require something that the kids are working with, not just off you go. It really depends, but a lot of times I'll bring in other things to kind of support their thinking and I'll talk a little bit more about that in the task section. The next thing is random groups. So I use these little color-coded cards and the kids can pick a card and then they find the person who matches their color and then they go to their workspace. A link to several um, posts about this as well as those color cards so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. You can also get them for free at the link in the show notes. I've also used um, computer-generated groups. I like classroom screen a lot, but something interesting that I noticed when I first started is the kids did not respond as well to the computer choosing a group as them physically choosing a card. I don't know if they thought that I was still in charge of it somehow when I rigged it. I don't know, but they seemed to accept it more when they were the one who got to choose their card and their partner was their partner. At this point, they're okay with either, but still prefer picking their own card. A note about the partners though, it did take them a while to understand that their groups will always be random. They'll always be with somebody different. Sometimes they'll work with the same person. Sometimes they'll work with different people, but it is completely random. The good thing about that is then they got to the point where they weren't so attached to who their partner was and also to understand that everybody in the classroom has something important to contribute and as a mathematician you'll grow by learning and hearing what other people have to say they might be a little disappointed that they're not working with their best friend but they can still work with any other classmate to accomplish the goal of solving the problem or attempting to solve the problem like i said because i'm in kindergarten 
the kids don't have a ton of school norms that they're breaking through. So I wouldn't say that I had students asking me for help often in this setting because it kind of felt different to them than just kind of your run-of-the-mill activity. But when they did ask for help, I would usually, I asked them if they had talked to their partner. I also encouraged them to ask another group what they were doing or what ideas they had and to see if that would help them out so that they really kind of saw other students as areas where they could get ideas and they could get support, not just me as the teacher. And the students who were getting asked to help another student didn't feel like they were copying off them because they were helping. They were asking for help. They're like, oh yeah, I'll help you. And the good thing about most kids, but especially kindergartners, is they really want to help. They want to be helpful. So if someone is asking for help, they're definitely into that. Are you with me so far? Great. Now jumping right into what they're actually doing once they get to their vertical non-permanent surface. The book suggests starting with a non-curricular task or something that doesn't necessarily have to do with math or the concept that you're working on just to kind of get them into the flow of what they're doing and also to get some buy-in like this is a fun experience this is something that you'll enjoy so anytime we're at the boards it should have that same feeling so it's kind of setting them up for that idea that this is going to be a good time we're going to do really fun things together and we get to work with a partner because i had read this book over the summer i had set up my classroom with wanting a lot of that empty space available for them to work. Because I was starting right at the beginning of the year, there are so many routines that the kids have to learn, and this is just another routine. The big things that I was thinking about would be a potential issue for the kids is sharing the marker. With your partner groups, there's only one marker between them, so they actually have to talk to each other and discuss. So my concern was that they wouldn't be sharing the marker and that they wouldn't actually be talking to each other. A lot of uh, parallel play or parallel discussion and not a lot of interaction. So when my first task for the kids was share the marker and take turns. And when I started, I had to be like, okay, two minutes, okay, switch the marker, switch the marker. But really they got over that really quickly and I didn't have to do that continuing on. It was just kind of to get them used to switching on and off. And what I noticed them doing was they were, good, we're gonna share the marker, but they were very much doing their own thing next to each other instead of creating one thing together. So their task, their first task was share the marker and draw a picture on your whiteboard. And so they were drawing their own pictures. In a future task, I had them try to draw something together. I kind of thought, what is something that would really require them to work together if they want to do, if they want to accomplish a goal? So my next task, a different day, is I gave each group a pile of blocks and their goal was to build the tallest tower that they could together. So that really got them talking to each other, trying to figure out what was the best way to build this tower and it seemed really successful. And then after that, we went back to the whiteboards and I had them try and draw pictures together and I did have to model what it might look like to do that. So like that kind of conversation, like, well, what do you want to draw? I want to draw this. Okay, I'm going to draw one thing in this picture and then you're going to draw the next. So I think the example was an ocean. It's like, okay, I'll draw the top of the water and then the partner drew the sand, etc. They did much better than that and then we went on to our first quote-unquote official task. And so I gave each group a baggie of magnets and I said, go count these. And the kids had to count them. They came back to the carpet. The whiteboard part of it was 
how are you gonna show me how many things that you have in your bag, how many items were in your collection? And that sparked a lot of really great discussion with the kids about how they might show that. And this was really great, especially for kindergarten, beginning of kindergarten, because some kids come in and they know their numbers, they can count to 100, like they have one-to-one correspondence, all of those big number sense things they have a good foundation of. And some students, it's really their first experience at school at all, and numbers are just squiggles, just like letters are squiggles. So that was a great kind of hands-on way to get both partners involved, even if one of the partners didn't necessarily know their number symbol yet. So starting this building thinking classrooms journey, especially with in mind that some students might not have the same numbers knowledge as others, I try to pick tasks that were very visual that didn't necessarily require writing numbers down to be able to solve the problem. And let me tell you, finding tasks for kindergarten, especially beginning of the year kindergarten, was a challenge. I just wasn't really sure where to turn. Like the book itself has some examples, but again, I was like, some of my kids are still working on their one-to-one correspondence to three. Like we're not ready for a lot of numbery type math problems. So that has been a challenge, but we worked through it. And I will have a link below to some of the tasks that I use that my kids have really enjoyed. If you're wanting to try this in your classroom and you only get to that part of the book, you are setting your kids up for a really great math problem solving experience, especially if you're told to give your kids rich math tasks. That's a quote unquote, and I rolled my eyes. but you're like, what kind of task am I going to give them? And how am I going to have them actually problem solving and not just mimicking or sitting there? So this is a really active way to break all of those kind of inhibitions down and really let their math skills show. One thing I will say is, as in any classroom, kids different at different speeds and different paces. So something that the book talks about is thin slicing. So if they've solved this problem, you can give them another problem that's similar, but just a little bit more challenging. So that's something I definitely had to work on, like really thinking through, all right, what is this task going to be? What is the next step and next step? And another thing that also really helps if you're not quite there yet is if you see that a group is finished, send them over to go help another group that might be struggling. And that's a great way for the students to learn from each other and also the kids who finish to be able to explain what it is that they were doing, which is another really great way for them to consolidate their learning. For me personally, I'm working on the next kind of steps in the book, which are consolidating your learning. So after they've done the problem or engaged in this problem, how am I going to kind of get them from the whiteboard to applying that knowledge or getting a good grip on that knowledge to be able to apply to other problem solving tasks? and giving them choice in how it is they want to practice on their own or with their partner what they were just working on on their whiteboard. I can't remember where I heard it, but in a study, they had asked a bunch of mathematicians to solve X problem. And what they noticed is someone who's actually really flexible with math in their thinking won't ever use an algorithm. They'll just use what they know to create a answer that makes sense for them with their knowledge. So that's my goal with this, with my students. I want them to really be able to be flexible with the way that they approach a problem and persevere if something is challenging. 
And the best thing about doing this with young kids is they're not at the point where they really need homework. They're not at the point where they have tests that would be like state testing or anything like that. So I figure that if I can really get them thinking flexibly now when they're young, my hope is that as they go on to the next grade level and the next grade level, that will be in their brain and will help them to solve any problem that they get in any math class that they happen to be in. So like I said, I will leave a link to my original post, the cards, some really great resources that I use to find my tasks, and feel free to leave a comment, leave a review, ask me any questions. All of my information will be there, and I would love to connect with other teachers of young mathematicians who are trying this in their classroom or are interested in trying. Make sure to check out the book. It goes much more in depth than I could go here, and I will catch you in the next episode. Let me know if there's anything you would like me to talk about.